There we go. All right. Um, well, we're going to get started today. Um, hey, Chad, can I pick on you to start us out in prayer? You got, you got that look on your face, look confused. So, I'm gonna, can I pick on you to choose prayer? <laughs> Lead us in a prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, today, what we're going to just kind of over a class at recap overview of how we're, Austin and I are kind of run through this class. Um, we kind of have three parts of the class. We had the last three lessons, which were kind of the overview that we're looking at. Austin did the structure and overview of Exodus itself, and then the importance of remembrance um, and why we remember and reflecting back, and then last week I gave the textual meaning on the Genesis coming out of Egypt and then going into the promised land at the, at the end of Exodus. Uh, the next section that we're starting in today is the revealing part of our class, and we're going to get into these topics. Uh, today we're going to talk about tribulations, birth of a Savior um, in Exodus, and then uh, his name is power and the calling, and this is kind of the next four lessons in our class, and then at the end, so we're going to talk about the institutionalization of the divine in Exodus, the law, uh, resistance of people, and divine presence. Um, and then a lot of times we think of institutions as bad things, and I think in our culture today, but what God is doing is making it accessible to us. An institution itself is not a bad word. It's just a simply institution, an institution of allowing us to have access um, to something, a process, I guess. Um, but anyway, today, uh, tribulations and saviors, what we're going to go over, and obviously there's a lot of correlations. Um, I think folks are, uh, um, can draw between Moses, the, um, the uh, baskets and the reeds, uh, kind of to uh, Genesis and the ark, uh, Noah and the flood, and then Moses being put on a... Um, uh, in a manger type arc, and then um, passing into the royal family, and then also the Red Sea, and a lot of parallels that go. Yeah, uh, Josh, can you turn this down for a second? I'm getting a lot of feedback. Sorry. Um, and then uh, what we kind of see is uh, also with the Red Sea, and then passing from one land, uh, one part of our life into the other, and a lot of the stuff. Obviously, I think as Christians, we can relate to as being delivered from something in our past to what God has um, put forth for us. And I think we see a lot of parallels to that. So uh, what I'm going to kind of dive into today uh, is I'm going to really kind of go through more of the story into the birth of Moses focusing on. Uh, we're going to have a couple of group discussions along the way, but I'm just going to, I kind of took this approach rather than looking, Austin and I have really been throwing a lot of information and reflecting Exodus through the entire Bible um, from Genesis um, to Kings um, to the gospel and things like that. We're going to obviously have parallels to that, but today I'm just going to kind of do more of a diving into the birthplace of Moses himself, and then we'll reflect a little bit on what was happening uh, in this. And so, yep, lesson four, we're back in chapter one <laughs> of Exodus. Welcome. <laughs> but um, no, we're going to kind of go through the story here a little bit and the birthplace setting of what was happening at the time, because the Israelites, there's too numerous. Um, the Pharaoh of Joseph had passed away. The new Pharaoh did not know Joseph and all that. And all he had was a bunch of Israelites in the land of Goshen multiplying to great numbers. And it's a big, as a leader, having a, you know foreigners in your land that over multiply your uh, native population is a huge concern that they're going to overrun yourself, and that was a fear for Pharaoh, and so um, what we have here in the birthplace setting, and, I'm, and you can follow along if you want, this is going to be um, verse by verse, um, but in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, um, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrews midwives, uh, Sipra and Hera, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. 
And if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered, The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God uh, was king to the midwives, and he and to the people increased, uh, increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Um, And this uh, depiction of this painting that you're seeing up here is reflecting uh, what we wrote, the Pharaoh telling the midwives, the women you see in the middle, and then on the far right, the the, um, Egyptian man throwing a baby into into the Nile. And then jumping right into chapter 2, the birth of Moses. Um, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Um, And before I go to the next verse, the next thing I just want to point out is the tribe of Levi. And Moses' direct connection to the tribe of Levi was the tribe that was responsible for carrying out the priestly, the temple and the priestly uh, orders. And so right off the bat, he's born on an Israelite level into the uh, temple and carrying carrying on the priestly um, uh, requirements that they were setting forth. Um, But when she could not hide him no longer, she got papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. On a side note, this is the funny part for me as I can't get Star Wars out of my head. (laughs) When Darth Vader's like, so you have a sister. (laughs) Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. (laughs) But uh, no, but his sister stood at a distance to see what happened to him. Um... And then, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is the one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, from the reeds, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And she said, yes, go. So the girl went and got the baby's mother, which was her mom, (laughs) too. Um, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Um... In this part, kind of, we'll have a couple of discussions as we go through here, but I wanted to throw this question out to folks. Um, what is significant about the, Moses' adoption? What, what, why have this story, like, what, why tell the story of Moses' childhood in Exodus? Did anyone have any thoughts on that? Or correlations to... Mm-hmm. And it sort of shows that God had a plan from the very beginning mm-hmm. for him. Right. And it, it wasn't just that he happened to eventually be the leader of the Israelites, but that, that God was putting him in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, got, oh, Jeff, what do you got? Yeah, that was, that's, uh, yeah, I never thought about it before, but you're right. It's, uh, it kind of bookends their time in slavery with God's hand of providence. Mm -hmm. He takes people that are nothing and makes them kings just like that. Right. You know, and it happens <laughs> yeah. on both ends of their slavery, so that's really, yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, an exact, oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. Because that's one of the things that's most significant to me in this whole story is that there was the only male, like other than Pharaoh, and then Moses. It was women that were taking care of everything of this whole story that was that had portrayed forth, and so they were the ones that you know uh, technically did what Pharaoh said: throw them into the Nile. They did, but they put them in an ark <laughs> and put them in the reeds. But you know, the the Pharaoh's daughter, you know how how much. Um, Leverage, you know, it's like, hey, this is the one, these are the kids that my dad's trying to kill, and she's like, oh, no, you're not, <laughs> you know, and protecting this child. It's just quite amazing. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, go ahead, man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I know that's. It's just amazing the insight that he's going to gain by being inside the royal family. Um, oh, go ahead. Maybe you're going to get from that. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The faith, the go forth. Um, the few things I'm going to throw up here. I kind of just threw a, a few things out. Um, raising Moses as a foreigner. So one of the things about being an adopted in a family is you're not really a, you're not a part of the birth chain of the family. So right through Jesus's entire childhood, he's raised as a foreigner inside the family that he's adopted with. Um, and that uh, translates to the rest of Exodus because he's going to end up going out to a foreign land. They're going to go into the wilderness. So he's already being prepared to be all the emotions and all the different things that goes with being out and being a foreigner in a land. Moses is raised this way. And so it doesn't um, um, directly preparing him for that, the that aspect, um, preparing relationships to be heard by Pharaoh and kind of what Vanna was saying, he had no other better place to be than learning the Egyptian culture and then how he's exposed to that. Um, being grafted into a royal family. Um, and I, this is a parallel that I'm kind of putting in in our walks as Christians, being grafted into a family. Like we don't, our families, that, our birthplace families aren't always together or we're not always whatever um but the concept that you know as we accept jesus and we come into a part of god's family we're grafted in to a royal family and um uh moses parallels that um understanding being adopted into a family and understanding what it is to um have his um pharaoh's daughter the mother um being a being his mom, growing up, and, you know, going from one place 
of here's where, you know, he's very young, obviously, but um, it's kind of like that being set apart a little bit, but then also being adopted and being loved for um, by a family as well. Uh, and then Moses, uh, oh, just what I referred to earlier, just the, he was, he was a Levite, and this is almost a parallel to God's covenant and uh, being transported on an ark because God is, has a plan, obviously, for this child um, in what's being put forth. So continuing on, um, Moses grows up uh, in the next verse, in 21. Um, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Um, the, uh, I don't know, I'll just throw a pet peep of mine. <laughs> uh, I don't think, we always kind of protect Moses, like, protecting this guy. You know, like, oh, he's getting beaten. I'm going to tackle this guy right now. But in reality, it says, looking this way and no one seeing no one. I think it was like the Egyptian who was beating the guy was kind of by himself. Uh, and Moses was, like, then tacking him. You know, we always have this picture of him, like, like if you kind of Google it and you find this, you'll find a lot of these pictures where Moses is, like, trying, stopping him from doing it. And I don't think that was really the case. I think, in my own opinion, is that he had kind of sought out that guy later and was taking him out um, because uh, the next day he went out and saw the two Hebrews fighting he asked the one who hit the one in the wrong. Um, obviously, so Moses had a judgment call here. Uh, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, "Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did that killed the Egyptian?" Uh, then Moses was afraid and thought, "What a, what I've done must come known." And so anyway, that's kind of why I don't feel that he was just like, "Oh, I'm going to show you know this guy," and you know, because he, he didn't want anyone to know he was doing this, um, but, uh, but anyway, um, this came up forth, and then when Pharaoh heard this, next verse, uh, when Pharaoh heard this, which is not Exodus 115, by the way, I must not have changed the number on that, it's two, yeah, <laughs> thanks, what, which verse, in, do you have the chapter and verse on that, oh, it's like, 215, oh, is that, it? I didn't change the, t- okay, sorry, um, Exodus 2.15. Uh, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but when Moses fled from Pharaoh, he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And, yeah, got this little cartoon. So Moses runs away from Egypt, and then he... Uh, so anyway, kind of the next group discussion to start off. Uh, what was significant about this part? You know, Moses grows up, he does this thing, kills an Egyptian... What's significance about what we just read about Moses fleeing Egypt? Yeah, come on, Cindy. What? He knows who he really is. Right. So, yeah, so he reflects on who he really is, and he saw his people being beaten, and then he kills the Egyptian, and obviously he, his status isn't as high as an Egyptian, even though he's... Raised by a royal family. I'm kind of blown away by the little microcosm of what's happening right now. Yeah. The whole story of Israel, you have um, the Egyptian is buried because he's persecuting the Jews. Mm-hmm. And then the Jews are fighting amongst themselves, which is the story of Israel, you know? We right. We got out of Egypt, now that happened. Mm-hmm. He goes to the desert and shepherds sheep for 40 years. Right. It's, it's so weird how it's developing a micro. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The parallels into the gospel is uncanny <laughs> of what's being prepared here. Um, I was just thinking about in Hebrews 11, and it talks about that Pharaoh refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to settle with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of his friends. And then in verse 27, it says, he left by faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who Instituted the Passover 
Right. Solitude. Got, he spends 40 years now with God in the wilderness. Right. And, and we see that almost as lost time, and God's preparing him. Mm-hmm. No, now I want you to know me. Right. And now I can use you. Exactly. Because he's not being used 40 years earlier. Right. And then when God wants to use me, he says, I'm not your guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. I know and it's kind of uh, parallels into the Christian walk. Uh, one of the things I want us to get a lot about at Exodus in the next few weeks is this idea is that our journey, sometimes we get focused on our commitment to Christ and bearing in baptism, we all celebrate, and then it's like, okay, next to the, move to the next thing, kind of the Great Commission and spreading the gospel again. One of the things is this 40 years, Jesus was baptized, went out 40 days in the desert, um, Israelites same, uh, crossing the Red Sea, then there's 40 years, and there's a struggle. So even after we commit to Christ, we have this period in our own Christian walks where it's like, okay, we checked everything off the list, now what? And we kind of struggle a little bit in this post-accepting, um, the, the spiritual high of accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. And how, what, what is our walk? Our walk doesn't end there. Our walk, obviously, God's preparing us for more things after we commit to Christ. And, the, and I believe that's honestly my opinion on the whole discussion of Exodus, on how do we continue to persevere after we commit ourselves to Christ. Oh, go ahead, Carrie. To me, one of the most interesting things about this text is the way the Hebrews responded to Moses. Right. I think you're ruling in heaven over Right. I mean, this is introducing a common theme. Mm-hmm. And that is the rejection of his leadership. Yep. And Israel, Israel is always uh, fighting against his leadership. Right. Right, right. But instead, they, <laughs> mm-hmm. they reject him. They, exactly. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, obviously, the parallels to us. <laughs> um, uh, I guess I can make a side comment. Sometimes our testimony, we feel that if people, to bring someone to Christ, they have to follow our testimony of what we did, check off the steps we took. But their steps may be different for their situation, and so it's interesting a little bit how we have that uh, um, resistance of, well, I don't need to do exactly what you did. I have my own story, and we kind of get these different things on, you know, who, who made you judge <laughs> kind of thing. But um, kind of different opinion on that a little bit. But, um, but, yeah, preparing him in the wilderness, obviously, we were just talking about that. Um, uh, I don't know, I was going to put this thing in uh, more of a leadership course, but it seems like uh, most leaders have this point of solitude in order to make yourself reliant. Like, leaders have to be self-reliant to some, some point. And uh, this period, it's, God's pretty much, it's like he's planning this out, that he's developing leaders, uh, putting Moses into a leadership program of, okay, you're fleeing and you're not standing upon what I gave you, but you're going to have to make your own way. You're going to have to go out into the, um, leave Egypt and make your own way. Um, outside perspective a little bit, when we get outside of where we grew up and we kind of can reflect back on what we did. Um, but Cindy hit it head on. I think, I'm not sure if I'm going to have it up here just yet, but you hit it head on because he, he remembers where he came from. He remembers that he's not an Egyptian. He's fighting for the Israelites, and he's reflecting about who he really is. Um, but get, kind of getting out of the situation, too, gives him a, a perspective of, um, on that. And then uh, uh, we kind of talked to wilderness, too, is comparing Jesus uh, into the wilderness after baptism as well, the parallels in the gospel going on here. Uh, oh, um, and the other thing that I kind of put out is we can't run away from our problems, even though he goes out, and there's a lot of reflection Moses has on, you know, um, back on his people, but um, it, it, no matter how far we try to run away from our our, our, our problems, it's just simply uh, unable to do so. It's a part of who we are. Um, so anyway, now we hit the Israel, uh, the um, 
He's pleased Egypt. He's sitting by a well. Um, now a priest of Midian, continuing on, uh, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs of water with the father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule, uh, it was also uh, later is referred to as Jethro. There's discussions about him having, whether it's a title, um, that one of the names is a title, the one's his actual name, but Raul and Jethro that we would hear about here. But Raul, their father, uh, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? Um, <laughs> I call this Moses' is the talk. Uh, but uh, they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Raul asked his daughters. Did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Uh, and that kind of leads us into the next group discussion uh, on this thoughts of foreigner in a foreign land and the significance of that. Does anyone have... We've kind of related on this quite a bit <laughs> to this point, too. Uh. Well, that's actually interesting bringing that up because there's two things um, going on with that as well. Is that um, Moses is uh, when he was attacking the Egyptian? There's two things. He was confronting the Hebrew that was in the wrong. So that was the first thing of his judgment call in that regard. And then the other thing is he actually attacked and overtook this Egyptian, and so he actually had some physical fighting ability. And like it's interesting to me is that you know even though he's probably not thinking that way, he's obviously prepared to handle himself. And then so when he goes out and he's in the wilderness, he's obviously confident enough to handle and take on these shepherds <laughs> that are, um, you know, uh, driving these women away. But it's interesting for boys, uh, watching boys become men, is that some of this rough housing and different things that happen, you know, is almost play to prepare them for being protectors later for their families. And so, like, it's in an unspoken way, um, you, you see this like, this concept of Moses being prepared. It doesn't say he was prepared to fight. <laughs> we don't really say that. But inherently, there's obviously things that Moses was gearing toward, that geared up, and those things that he was afraid of in Egypt are also things that prepared him. And if he didn't have those... Um, Take you know handle himself skills. He wouldn't be in the situation he's at in this in this situation either. Oh, go ahead. His you know his mother introduced him to the Hebrew God. He knows the religions of Egypt. Yeah. When he's a foreigner in Midian, is he an Egyptian in Midian or a Hebrew in Midian? Right. But he meets he meets a priest to God Most High. You know his father-in-law is a priest to God Most High, like Melchizedek was. He's still yeah. encountering someone that knows God at a different level than he does. That's right. And so his exposure is. This idea of being a foreigner right. is really going to it broaden some complete for the work that God has planned for him. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he was a foreigner in the house he was raised in. Now he's a foreigner in another land. And that's, you know what, that's another thing that was really interesting to me, too, was uh, they answered, it wasn't a Hebrew that rescued him, it was an Egyptian that rescued him. Yeah. And so, like, you know, him growing up, he was like he appeared as an Egyptian. That's how they would see him. And so, you know, it's... Uh, it's interesting to me uh, on, on this preparation of him growing up, how that uh, sometimes we reflect our environments of which we grow up and people would see with that. Obviously, there's much more to Moses because he's not an Egyptian. There's a, he's a um, Levi, Hebrew, but there's much more going on here. But I do find that interesting. Oh, which got here? 
mm-hmm. is explaining why he went back to Egypt to deliver Israel. It was not just because God told him to go. It was, it was because his values were that he stood up for injustice. Right. He stood up against abuse. So my question is, where did he learn those values? That's right. And that's key. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting thing on a childhood. Like, you reflect on our childhood, and you, it's kind of fun to me. It seems like I get able to cross, like, all age groups. But it's funny to me to watch people in their 50s and 60s, um, especially in public meetings, by the way. <laughs> and I sometimes, when I'm in these meetings, I just picture everyone on the playground. <laughs> like, if I could just take these 50s, 60s, 70-year-old guys... <laughs> And I literally just put them on the playground. I'm like, that's, I can see exactly what you were like in first grade. Because <laughs> honestly, what they're arguing about is like the guy stole his girlfriend back in high school. <laughs> and now he's 70 years old, still bitter about it. <laughs> so we kind of watch this little playback. But <sighs> mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. That is an interesting um, parallel back and forth. What's interesting about that parallel to me is the condition of the heart, because David was a man after God's own heart, and then these shepherds were obviously selfish and driving the women away. Um, You know, and sometimes we can get into these discussions about X, Y, Z and putting everyone into um, different bubbles. And we try to classify people on their characteristics. But we, uh, and we do that on politics level and public health, everything, um, to try to classify and make sense of something. But the thing that really drives is what is the motivation of the individual on why they do things. You know, we could try to do that on so many levels to characterize people, but that's not really what drives us. It's the condition of the heart. Um, and, and to me, that's what the comparison of David and after man got in God's own heart, and the same with Moses. He's obviously looking for justice and reflecting back. But I think that parallels to what God is asking for us in the gospel of um, circumcision of the heart with God. Um, but, um, oh, just one Okay, uh, so a couple things I just wrote up uh, was uh, this was his second adoption. So he was adopted the first time. Now he's adopted into a new family, and it kind of reflected. He's still a foreign, feels to be a foreigner, set apart, um, set apart in his new surroundings. Um, uh, his heart, obviously, we mentioned someone mentioned this already. Uh, is full with his people. Um, and he was. I'm still writing this. Remember, he's a Levite, so he's actually not only. Uh, he's a foreigner in uh, Midian. He was a foreigner in the royal family. But even then, he set apart as a Levite with the tribe of Israel itself. And so the parallel of bringing this, um, uh, bringing forth God and setting up God's temple um, all the way from his birth. Um, and then also comparing this with our Christian walks, um, being a foreigner in a foreign land and being set apart as we make a commitment to Christ. Um, and how we remember um, uh, what Jesus Christ did for us. Uh, And then God remembers. um, Okay. Uh, Moving on, um, after um, David has a family. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And I put this up there now because what's happening is we've gone through Moses' preparation and what's going to happen in chapter 3. I'm not going to get into it much, too, because I, want, I don't want to take off an Austin's class, <laughs> too. But um, this is where Exodus is going to start transitioning. We've talked about Moses preparing and growing up. Um, he still has growing up to do along the way. We're always growing. But we're starting to transition now from Moses' upbringing to uh, the rescuing the Israelites on a ma- on the mass level, and so we're going to start transitioning uh, to the Israelites as a whole um, in uh, in Exodus. 
So, um, in a short thing, so here's this guy. He's, like, been prepared up in a royal family. He's gone off into the wilderness. He returns. And the things we see, the people, you know, who made you judge, you know, here's the things that happened for Moses. Now the Israelites, no straw for their bricks. They're in blood, water source. The Nile turns into blood. And they have a plague of frogs everywhere and a plague of gnats and a plague of... And it's just kind of like, you know, Moses doesn't... <laughs> It's not like this most welcoming committee. And I'm saying this from the Israelites' perspective, by the way. Um, it's like, oh, man, you came back, and now things are just getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> you know? It's not it's a real happy, you know, Moses and I coming back and like, aha, I'm rescuing you out. It's like, no, they're enduring the plagues now. Now we're getting into the plagues of Egypt, in which they're like, man, this guy is just not... <laughs> We're not looking up here, um, you know. And so then we um, then we had the plague and the livestock and the plague of boils. And I put these in a different color because now God, the first the first the straw for bricks isn't a plague, but the first four plagues it seems like everyone was kind of induced to them. Like everyone in Egypt was kind of in there. Um, there could be debate on that, but by text it doesn't say that they were set apart from it. Plague of livestock they were set apart upon, um, and the plague of boils it seems. That, it doesn't say that they were spared, but it kind of seems it was more towards the Egyptians on the dust being thrown up into the um, Egyptians, plain uh, boils. But it seems like at first they're kind of all exposed to this, and then we start having this um, God setting the people apart on the livestock and the boils. And then we have the plague of hail, which just knocks out everything. Um, and I put these in purple because the Israelites may have been so it's like God starts setting people apart with those two boils, but the next, or sorry, with the plagues and the livestock and the boils. But the plague of hail affected all the crops. You know, the crops are being affected, hailstones are coming. And obviously, we can relate to hail very easily now <laughs> uh, of what's happened out in Greeley and all, and uh, uh, whatever that town is, Spur- Sterling, um, and people getting damaged by hail um, severely. Um, but, you know, it started talking about now it's like whoever's out in the field will get hit by hail and struck down. And so the Israelites, even if they were out in the field, they're going to get struck down. So they have to start following what God is preparing them for. So now in the purple, it's like the Israelites have a choice as well. Um, the locusts would have came through and knocked everything, so they would have been exposed to that. The plague of darkness and then the plague of firstborn, they would have been subjected to as well, but they had a choice, and they were prepared for that. And, and that's what I'm going to dive into here, um, is the plague on the firstborn, because um, we're talking about the birth of Savior, um, but the Passover lamb. And so and I'm going to jump to Exodus chapter 12, 21. Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into blood in the, in the basin, and put the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame so that none of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. Uh, Two things about this. Obviously, the reference to blood and then the hyssop itself. But the fact that you're putting this over what part of the house you're putting this over. You're putting it over the door frame. It's something you have to walk through in and out of your house. Um, It's it's a passageway. So something is going here that... um, as the Passover here. But I, I just wanted to kind of mention that significance of the doorway itself. Sometimes we think of the passing over and passing over the door of not going in and out. But, but a doorway directly in your house is something that we have to pass through. And so the next morning when you walk out, you're passing under the blood directly. Um, and then so when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. And so then this is all carried out, and then there's the uh, uh, he passes over every of the Israelites that um, followed this. It doesn't say there were no Israelites didn't follow this, but this was still a choice the Israelites themselves had to make. It wasn't just God sparing them from this. They had to follow God's um, instructions in order to have the Passover uh, come over. And so that's one of the reasons I had kept that as purple on the previous slide, but that they had a choice. They, if they didn't do this, they're going to fall right back into the Egyptians. So they had to specifically follow what God was saying uh, to be done. And so obviously comparing that with um, 
the crucifixion of Christ. There we go. Um, John, in the Gospel of John 19.28, later knowing that everything had now been finished, so Jesus is hanging on the cross, and so the scripture would be filled, fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Um, uh, so obviously the parallels of what we're drawing here uh, between Exodus and our, our own um, Passover is that um, I'm going to put up these ideas. We seem to, Austin and I seem to like this little thing <laughs> of putting in two balances, but um, we talked about remembrance and we talked about loyalty, but one of the questions to kind of, we're going to kind of end up wrapping things on is why do we suffer and um, when do we reflect on those sufferings? And so there seems to be a lot of concern of like, you know, suffering is always a bad thing. But um, for our group discussion here is can we be redeemed without suffering? Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's when we touch the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. When Jesus looks at Christians, when God looks at Christians uh, and sees the blood, mm-hmm. they, they pass over in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, and not remembering our sins. Right. They pass over that. Right. 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 Uh, committing ourselves to Christ through baptism is the parallel to the blood on the doorway and the passing by. Um, or go ahead. Yeah, and, and that's that concept of the blood, us being buried through his, um, through the blood of Jesus Christ is, the, and you kind of hit it upon it a little bit, Vanna, is like that everything is forgotten idea is what I'm kind of getting to a little bit here, is that sometimes we get into this mode, maybe I'll just flip up the stuff I have, but, um, well, maybe not, um, but this concept of forgetting, we, we sometimes are like wanting to commit ourselves to Christ and forget everything that happened before it, born anew. And what I'm kind of getting to here a little bit is this remembrance of where we came from to where we're at now. And the, that the concept of the blood of Christ and the Passover on the doorsteps is that this is a reminder of Christ covering our sins and us being redeemed through Christ. And so, like, I, I, I'm kind of hitting on that idea of, uh, or, or is the idea of remembrance of where we came from and the reason we're redeemed. And so I'm kind of throwing that out as uh, an idea. Is sometimes I think we want to forget what's happened in the past before we were baptized into Christ, but I don't think that's what God is intending for us. This is my own opinion, so everyone can throw stones at me here in a second. But, um, but the idea that um, what God wants from us is he wants us to overcome. And through, by overcoming, we, come, we overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so um, having our sins and everything that we 
uh, have overcome is the testimony to, of the gospel to share with people um, uh, that we spread the gospel, the word. That's the essence of the gospel. Um, and that's what I'm kind of getting to a little bit um, with the Passover of the blood and through our baptism of Jesus Christ, that that idea of what Passover means to not forget who we were, or who we were Obviously, we don't have to be who we were. We want to change and overcome and become someone new. But that our past of where we come from is part of our testimony that is spreading the gospel that Jesus commissioned us to do. Sorry, go ahead. Right. 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 Then all of a sudden, he comes and talks to me. You know, he's, I get stressed out about something, and then here I tune into right. everything I do. So, right. Yeah, I right. Oh, go ahead. This is a tough question that can't be answered in 30 seconds, but. No. <laughs> Right. And I think that there's this beautiful passage at the end of Exodus 2 that talks about how God um, heard the groaning and he remembered his covenant and he saw the Israelites. And my Bible says, and God knew. And I think that those things, like God sees us in our suffering, hears us, he remembers us, and he knows. Mm-hmm. Right. I do think that um, several times through the ages, including today, suffering has been seen as a bad of righteousness amongst mm-hmm. Christians. Mm-hmm. I think that's really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an awful desire to live God in Christ Jesus with such persecution. That was a very, uh, uh, and I know it's controversial to say this, but that was a temporal statement. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's true through the ages and will be true in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually celebrate times of peace in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to walk around and try to accuse others of not being strong Christians because I don't see suffering in their lives, that sometimes happens in Christianity. I agree. Yeah. That's unhealthy. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say, because I was going to share, like, so in high school, we had our youth minister, he kind of was talking about this idea a little bit, but it was almost like, it was like, share share what's happened to you in the room. What's the worst thing that's happened? And then it was like, all of a sudden, the youth group started coming up with, like, who's got the worst story? <laughs> you know? And I'm, like, sitting here, like, well, my dad has a job that's constant. And I was like, my life's boring. <laughs> I was like, like, I don't have a story, you know? But it was kind of this idea. is like, wait, I don't really have anything exciting to share. Um, but the concept of what's actually God's talking about, I believe, is that we don't want to forget because... It's not us that redeem ourselves, and we don't set our we don't become idolizing ourselves, trying to ignore. Oh, we're wanting to be perfect. It's the idea of um, submitting ourselves to Christ, and, and and obviously that has a individual effect. I'm sorry, Cindy. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, that reliance on God and the is the essence of uh, His blood, uh, our sins being redeemed for that. Um, wait, someone else. I'm going to kind of flip through. Just uh, humbled by theory or practice, required to understand absolute truth. Uh, Stephen's defense. I didn't really get this up there because I thought it would be too long. 
Um, but he obviously refers back to the whole Old Testament and to the circumcision of the heart. And then uh, in Revelation, seven letters to the churches, and concluding by, to him who overcomes. Um, and uh, testimony to encourage others um, and seeing things deeper than what they seem. And I, I just kind of want to throw this out there. I'm going to wrap up class because I'm going to run late. Um, but like when you see something, like to me, that means something more. And I wanted to point this out because the painting you guys see in the middle right now is, when I see that painting, that means a lot, probably more to me than it does a lot of other folks. That painting was painted by Nicholas Tournier in 1635, who is a relative of mine. Um, And this painting right now is on display at the Louvre in Paris. It's a very big painting, 13 and a half feet by nine feet. But it's like, when you have a personal connection to something, Something means a lot more. I mean, it's obviously um, uh, a scene of Christ being crucified. But when you have a personal connection to something, you kind of reflect deeper on something that happens. Um, And so I just wanted to kind of relate that uh, to you guys a little bit. Um, And then obviously through the baptism and then um, what we overcome with God. And so... Uh, I'll end class real quick on putting a plug in for Carrie again. <laughs> so, and his uh, praying through Exodus as well. So, um, I think they're kicking us out of the room now. <laughs> so, anyway, um, uh, we probably, uh, hey, Milt, can I pick on you real quick to end us in a quick prayer? And we can.